so much for that warm welcome. I, I may be CMA, but I need to find out how I can sign up to MFI and to become part of this amazing family because uh, it's obvious that you love God and that God loves you and that the Holy Spirit is among us. You know, I love the, the vision for this conference on healthy churches. And, you know, this may sound very simple, but probably the, the best way for us to foster healthy churches is to allow God's presence to make us healthy. You know, Moses had the presence and the glory of God upon him, and it made all the difference for him. And the work that you're doing is challenging. I loved hearing Jordan and Andrea talk about Summit Life and their challenge of planting there in Edmonton. And is that you allow the Holy Spirit to come upon you and to make you whole, you will be leading a community that becomes whole. And so if there's one thing that you take away from tonight, I, I pray that it would be that you would allow the Holy Spirit to make you healthy spiritually in every way. And then out of that health, that healthy churches would emerge under your leadership. You know, I went to a church in Vancouver that had cycled through 20 pastors in 20 years. It had gone from over a thousand in the 1950s to a hundred and something. And on my first week on the job, the secretary walked into my office and she sat down and she said, Ken, if the ship sinks now, everyone will blame you <laughs> because you were the last captain at the helm. She was trying to motivate me to work harder. <laughs> I just felt depressed. And during this time when I was feeling depressed, my fiance and I had broken up. So it really was a, a tough time in my life. My mentor, Leighton Ford, God bless you, <laughs> happened to be in town. He's uh, originally from Ontario and now living in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was desperate for some encouragement, but I felt too embarrassed to ask for that. So I turned to Leighton and I said, can you give me some counsel? And he crossed his long legs and he said, remember that God is an artist. He will not lead you to copy anyone else. So seek God for a unique vision for this place. And so that has stayed with me for a couple of decades. And I'm, I'm, I'm just thankful for those words from God through Leighton. And I would encourage you to seek God for a unique vision for the places to which he has called you. So thank you for allowing me to be here, Lauren, Pastor Lauren, for your helping to host in, in, in your house, in your, in your building with, with Linda. And I appreciate Dave and Tamana and... and John and, and, and Brian and uh, my friend David Stunenberg, who I haven't seen since high school. Didn't know that he was a pastor in these parts, but it's good to reconnect with him as I was coming into the building tonight. So I was raised here in British Columbia in, in the lower mainland, but I'm originally from Japan. And I ended up marrying a woman from Japan. And so I'm back on a fairly regular basis. And when I'm back in Japan, I sometimes wonder what would my life had been like if we hadn't moved away from Japan when I was so young? What if I had not only been born here in Japan, but raised here as well? And I think about all the enormous pressure there would have been upon me to get admitted into the right preschool. And then the great pressure upon me to pass the exam to get into the right kindergarten. And then eventually, wow, exactly, 
the right university and to be picked up by the right company. And so I breathe a sigh of relief as I say, thank God I wasn't raised in such a relentless rat race. But if I'm honest with myself and I think about my experience being raised here in Canada, I haven't escaped the pressure to achieve. You know, when I was a younger person, I felt the pressure to achieve in sports. And then, as Lauren mentioned, I felt the pressure to achieve when I was working in the corporate world is what they call a 7-Eleven man, which didn't mean that I was drinking a lot of Slurpees, but it meant that my workday was going from 7 in the morning till 11 at night, sometimes even later. And many of you are pastors here or elders or have some kind of role of leadership in the church. When I became a pastor, I wasn't free of that burden to achieve either. Now, ambition is a good thing. Jordan and Andrea have a lot of ambition as they go into Edmonton and seek to be channels of God's life to this part of Edmonton that is largely spiritually dead. Ambition is a good thing. But when we begin to feel pressure to achieve, whether it's in our work, our ministry, in a relationship, or in some other sphere of life, then life can begin to feel like a heavy burden. And if you've ever felt the burden to achieve in one of these areas, and it's felt heavy for you, yeah, and maybe for you too, a very young voice, just learning how to navigate this planet, then Jesus has some very good news for you. Tonight, he says to you, and he says to me, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Living and perfect God, we pray that you would enable us to respond to this invitation of Jesus and to wear the yoke that you have perfectly designed for us, that we might live light and free in your will, for your purposes, and to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So Jesus here says, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. And tonight, I want us to focus on this passage and look at how we can pursue a life of contribution for Christ, but not out of this anxious, desperate need to prove that we're enough, but out of a place of deep rest and peace that comes from knowing that we are already accepted, in fact, cherished in the eyes of the one who matters most. And so Jesus says, come, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Literally, I will rest you. How so? Jesus says, by taking my yoke upon you. Now, I don't need to mention to all of you here that when Jesus uses the word yoke, He's not referring to something that's yellow and round and a little smaller than a golf ball. He's not referring to an egg, obviously. He is referring, when he says the word yoke, 
to a wooden bar that was placed across the back of the neck of an ox, enabling it to more easily pull a heavy load. And so Jesus in this passage is comparing you and me to an ox. It's not very flattering. As Canadians, we would prefer to be compared to a beaver, I think. That's our national animal, right? Very industrious, good at making dams. And I'm sure many of you, all of you work very hard. If you happen to be from America, you would probably prefer being compared to a soaring eagle. But Jesus here doesn't compare us to a beaver nor an eagle, but to an ox. It's not very complimentary, but it is appropriate. It is apt because like an ox, we are weighted down with all kinds of burdens, all kinds of weights. Now, when Jesus's first century hearers first heard these words, they would have felt weighted down by concerns about whether they would have enough money to feed their families as they were living in this farming-based subsistence economy day to day. Parents would have had concerns about the well-being of their children in a world back in the first century where most newborns did not live to see their 20th birthday. And today we can have concerns about finances, about the well-being of our loved ones, but we also share a concern that people in Jesus's first century world did not feel as heavily. We have concerns about whether we are accomplishing enough and whether we are enough. And this fear would not have been felt as heavily by people in Jesus's first century world because their station in life was largely determined by the family they were born into and their social circumstances. But we live in a world here in Canada where we can rise. We can rise professionally. We can rise up some kind of ministry hierarchy. And I think you know what I mean. But what if in this world where we can rise professionally and in ministry and socially, we don't become really successful in a worldly sense? We can feel like we're a failure. And so if you have ever felt the pressure to achieve in your ministry or in any other sphere of life, this invitation is also for you. Jesus says, come to me, come to me and I will rest you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, if you are tired and weary in any way, come to me and I will rest you. How so? By placing my yoke upon your shoulders. Now, some of you here may be saying, in order for me to rest deeply, I don't need a yoke. I need a massage. <laughs> I need some ballroom dancing. So I can really be saved. Like Jordan here. Or I need an all expense paid vacation to Hawaii. Yeah, there, you go. there you go. I'm beginning to hear some amens here. So some are saying that's the word of the Lord for me tonight. <laughs> Preach it. But Jesus says in order for you to rest 
deeply in your body and in your soul. What you really need is my yoke. Why is that? Because the yokes that we are wearing don't fit us very well. They chafe against our neck. And some of the heaviest yokes of all are the yokes of people's expectations. And maybe the heaviest yoke of all is the yoke of our own self-expectation. And we can get trapped into a, an if-then kind of thinking. Maybe when we were, we were younger, we thought, if only we can get admitted to a certain school, then I'll feel better about myself. And at some point, we thought, if only I could be hired by this church or this ministry, I'll feel okay about me. Some of us have thought, if only I can finally own a house. And if you're from Metro Vancouver, you're, you're saying, come on, be realistic in your, in your illustrations here. Then I'll feel all grown up. But according to Sean Acor, a psychologist who teaches at Harvard, this if-then kind of thinking cannot be supported by the research. Because every time we achieve a goal, our brain moves the goalposts as to what success looks like. So you're admitted to a certain school, the goalpost changes, it moves. Now you need to get good grades. You get hired by X church or Y ministry, the goalpost moves. Now you need to stand out in that ministry or in that church. You're finally able to buy a house, miracle of miracles. Now you wanna buy a house in a better neighborhood or a slightly bigger house. The goalpost keeps moving. Our sense of being enough isn't something we achieve. It's something that we receive. Have any of you seen the movie Cool Runnings? Any of you from Calgary here by chance? I know we've got some folks from, so we've got a number of people from Calgary. The movie Cool Runnings, as you may know, is loosely based on the true life story of Jamaica. Yes, Jamaica attempting to field their first bobsledding team at the Calgary Winter Olympic Games in 1988. And there's a scene in the movie where the coach who has won two gold medals walks into a room and he sees that his star bobsledder Darius is carefully studying the bobsled course. And Darius feels the weight of the world on his shoulders because he figures, if only I can win a gold medal, and he's been through a scandal, people will finally respect me and see me as successful. The coach who's won two gold medals sees the pressure that Darius is under and he looks at him and says, Darius, winning a gold medal is a wonderful thing, but if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. I had an opportunity to talk to the only two-time gold medalist in the Olympic Games that I'm acquainted with, a guy named Ashton Eaton, track and field guy who won the gold medal in the decathlon at the London Olympic Games. Four years later, he repeated as the gold medalist in the, deca the, the, the decathlon at the Rio Olympic Games in Brazil. And I asked him the question, you've seen the movie Cool Runnings? He says, oh yeah. Coach says, if you're not enough without the gold medal, you won't be enough with it. What do you think of that? And he said, the coach is absolutely right. When I won my first gold medal in London, it was nice. But after a while, I looked down at it and I thought, this is sort of superficial. It's just a medallion. It's not the answer. It's not what will make me enough. Our sense of being enough is not something that we achieve. It's something we receive. 
It's not something that we create for ourselves. It's something that is conferred upon us by another. And Jesus says, if you feel weary and burdened about what you feel like you need to accomplish in your lifetime, come to me and I will rest you. How so? By placing my yoke upon you. What does Jesus mean when he uses the symbol of a yoke? It's not immediately clear in verses 29 or 30. And as you know, if a word in scripture is not immediately clear, one of the best ways to figure out the meaning of the word is by looking at the larger context. You scroll back four or five verses and we see the context. Jesus is just, as we were doing tonight, exulting, just celebrating in the wonder of his father's love for him. He says, I praise you, my father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have revealed your truth, your wisdom, not so much to the best and the brightest, but to children and to those who approach you with the humility of a child. And so Jesus here is just basking in the wonder of his love relationship with his father. And according to Daryl Johnson, a respected pastor here in Metro Vancouver and a New Testament scholar, the yoke that Jesus wants us to wear is the yoke that he himself wore. And the yoke that Jesus himself wore was the yoke of his father's love across his shoulders. And so the yoke that Jesus wants you to wear is the yoke of your perfect father's unique love for you. And if you wear that yoke, the yoke of the Father's unique love for you, it will change the way you move through the world. Now, let me give an example. So Jordan and Andrea gave a personal story tonight, and so let me give a personal story here. A number of years ago, I was, when I was single, I was back in Japan, and I was meeting with a friend of mine who was going through a personal issue and was very transparent with me. And during the conversation, the name of his friend from his university days, Sakiko, sort of just came up. And I blurted out, I've always liked her. I've always liked, liked her. And so my friend says, well, she's, she's still single and beautiful. You should call her. I'm, I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm really not here to socialize. And he pulls out his phone and says, oh, no, no, no. She asked about you. She had such a good impression of you. Just talk to her. Come on. I'm going to call her right now. And so the phone's ringing. And I'm like, I, have no, I, I don't know what to say. And she picks up the phone. Hi. This is Ken. And she asks, are you the guy who went to Berkeley? I'm like, no, no. That was Jeff. <laughs> She had no idea who I was. She had no re remembrance <laughs> whatsoever. Yeah, so I'm thinking, oh, great. I'm like, um, I don't, are you free on Wednesday? Would you like to go out for coffee with me? She said, no, I'm, I'm busy. <laughs> and I don't know what came over me, but I said, I don't know what your plans are, but can you change them? <laughs> now, I wasn't thinking about this in the moment, but I later thought psychologically, based on the cultural norms, as Dave may know, and Tamano may know, uh, Japanese people have a very difficult time saying no, especially twice in a row. <laughs> so the cultural norms were working in my favor. <laughs> All things work together for good. It's not talking about my social life, but uh, she couldn't say no. And so we got together for coffee. It didn't go very well. 
but we did get married. So thank you for being so happy for me. So, so I feel your joy. Now that's not the point of the story. The point is, you, most of you don't really know me very well, um, but I am terrified of rejection, especially in the context of romantic pursuit. And so I look back <laughs> and I wonder how could I put myself out for possible rejection and humiliation and heart pain like that. And I think part of the answer is that I was slowly learning to wear the yoke of my father's love across my shoulders. And when you live loved, as our brother was sharing earlier, you can be a little bit bolder. You can really say from your heart that God has not given me a spirit of timidity or of fear, but a spirit of self-discipline and he's given me a sound mind. And when you know that you're loved, you're, you're able to put yourself out in a relationship. You're able to take more of a risk in ministry or in work or in some other venture of life. And it can be painful still if you fail or you're rejected, but you're, you know you're gonna be okay because you are, you are loved. You are loved by the one who matters most. You are cherished and so you are bolder. And so you have less fear and you have more health and you have more faith and you have more vision and you have more, I'm just gonna go for it. I'm gonna go for it. And so uh, I'm really thankful that you were all gifted with a copy of Survival Guide for the Soul. So thank you for uh, giving this to folks here. All the, the, the proceeds, by the way, from any book sales, all the royalties go to World Vision and to missions that work with vulnerable children. And for my first book, we were able to give away $300,000. So I'm thankful for that. And it looks like we're gonna be able to give another 100 to 200,000 in part thanks to, to, to this book. But thank you for being so generous and gifting it to folks. In this book, I write about some of the practices that enable us to live with a sense that we are loved by our Father, that we are cherished by Him. And one of the things that I write about in the book is, um, the practice of prayerful meditation, prayer meditation. I'm a very easily distracted kind of person, as maybe you can pick up, maybe you can't. Um, but um, at any given time, I can feel like there are 127 monkeys jumping around in my head. And so at some point in the morning, as I did this morning, I'll simply take some time to sit and breathe deeply. Breathing in through our nose slowly, breathing in through my nose slowly. I told you I'm easily distracted. Breathing out slowly. Breathing in slowly. Breathing out. And then I start to think of all the things I ought to be doing. <laughs> right, my to-do list, right? So I'll do a couple of things. I'm glad that we didn't have a uh, turkey dinner tonight because this would be sleep time, right, as I'm demonstrating this. But so I'm not thinking about, oh, how much time has gone by. I set a timer on a free app. I prefer the free apps. <laughs> and this free app is called Centering Prayer. And I set the timer to maybe 20 minutes, 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, that is a good idea. 
a chime goes off like a country bell outside of Edmonton calling me to pray. <laughs> and I feel summoned to pray. And I breathe deeply. But I still, my mind wanders. And so I reach for my Bible. And every time my mind wanders, I repeat a phrase from Scripture to help focus me on God. Like, be still and know that I am God. Distracted again. Be still and know that I am God. Let me just change the scenery for a moment. I'm from Vancouver, as Lauren mentioned. Live not that far from the ocean. I love to be on the ocean, love to sail. I do not own a sailboat, but I love to sail, love to kayak. There have been times when I've been out on the water and I've seen salmon jumping out of the ocean at 45 degree angles. There have been times when I've seen, rare times when I've seen pods of dolphins and even rarer occasions where I've seen whales in the distance. And sometimes when I'm sitting just prayerfully in God's presence, I, I feel like I'm surrounded by this beautiful, mysterious presence that upholds the whole world and me. There are other times when I've been out on the water and I've seen an empty Coke bottle, a styrofoam cup bobbing up and down on the water. I've seen debris. And there are times when I'm sitting in God's presence and anxiety rises up in my heart or a feeling of anger or a painful memory from childhood or a feeling of envy towards someone. And I lift those up to God in prayer and I feel lighter and I feel freer. And when the 20 minutes are done, chime sounds, I stand up and I feel just a bit more relaxed and throughout the day, just a bit more conscious of Jesus and just a bit more aware of the Father's love across my shoulders. There's something healing and something freeing about sitting in God's presence and tuning into his love. His love is all around us and we can tune into it. So another practice that I have, so uh, that's my morning practice. In the evening, I will pray a 500-year-old prayer of gratitude called the prayer of examine. Any of you pray this? Ignatius of Loyola, okay. All right, okay. There's another free app. This is um, called Reexamining the Examine. It has a little bit of music, usually. Usually. And uh, it invites me to look back. Yeah, you hear the bit of music, right? Over the last 24 hours and to consider two or three things that felt like gifts from God. And so I've been traveling as of last week, and so it just felt good to be back on Sunday night and, and to spend time with my family. That felt like such a gift. And then today I met the woman who was, for the first time, who was spiritually directing my wife, kind of a spiritual mentor to her. 
in Abbotsford just before I came out here, a woman named Rita. And so, you know, as you know, if someone is investing in your spouse, that feels like such a great gift. And then it was just, it's just been um, really special to be with you tonight in this place. I really feel the love of God. I, I'm not just saying this, um, you know, because it feels like the Canadian polite thing to say. But I really feel God's love coming through you to each other, toward God and, and toward me too. So, so th th these feel like gifts. Now, this may sound like such a simple exercise, but the, the research shows out of places like Harvard, if you will spend three or four minutes a day identifying two or three things that felt like a specific gift, it will change the way you move through the world. Have you ever been in the market for a new car or maybe a, not a brand new car, but a car that's new for you? So my colleague Edlin was recently in the market for an Austin Mini Cooper, a cream colored one. And, and so, Lauren, I can tell your interest is picking up here. Um, <laughs> and so wherever she went in Vancouver, she would see these everywhere. It wasn't like the dealer was saying, Edlin is on the fence. I better flood her neighborhood with these cars. She was primed to think about the cars, and so she noticed them more. And so it is when we practice Thanksgiving, identifying two or three things that feel like gifts, it will start to seem like more good things are coming into our life, even though that may not technically be the case. And when we associate those good gifts with God's love for us, we feel more of the yoke of the Father's love across our shoulders. We feel more loved. And when we feel more love, we feel less fear, as our brother pointed out. Because God has not given us a spirit of timidity or fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so Thanksgiving, it's another chapter in the book, can help us experience more deeply the love of God. Yes, as Dave talked about this morning, we are to love Jesus but we are also to receive his love and to live out of that love. And when we live love, we live bolder. We live freer. We live with more power, more grace, more anointing. And then finally, insofar as this message is concerned, a third practice that enables me to wear the yoke of my father's love is the practice of Sabbath. Do you practice Sabbath on a regular basis? I don't, you don't need to raise your hands necessarily. Um, I don't want to, you know, just call anyone out specifically. But Sabbath keeping is an act of faith. You know, a number of years ago, I was speaking at uh, this Pentecostal assembly of about a thousand ministers, it's like their national assembly, it happened to be in Saskatoon. And I'm not very detail oriented as uh, I think I implied earlier. And I thought I was supposed to give just one keynote address, but I was supposed to give two. And I didn't read the email properly. And so I just, you know, days before I realized I had to give a brand new presentation. And the only day I could actually prepare was on my Sabbath day, but I felt called just to rest and trust God. Now, I know that you seem so anointed and so in tune with the Spirit. You're probably thinking, what's the problem? Just stand up and let the Spirit come down. Come down! I'm not that anointed. I, I usually need to, to, to prepare, you know? Um, 
But I felt God calling me to trust him and it, 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 I think it went fine, you know? Um, but there's more work to do than we have time to do, or at least so it feels, right? And, and honoring the Sabbath is a way of declaring, God, I'm trusting you for the work, not me. It's a way of saying, it's not by might, nor by power, but by your spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And so it's an act of trust. It's also a way to affirm that our identity is not in our work, as important as that is. It's not in our success. And I've been a church planter as well in California. I know the pressure that that feels like. It's not in how this launch goes, but it's in the simple glorious fact that that we are beloved sons and daughters of God. We've got a son who's 11 years old, just beginning grade six. His name is Joey. He's not very productive. He likes to play with his toys. He doesn't like to clean up. He doesn't make any money for our household. <laughs> but he loves money. On his 10th birthday, he was opening up a card at his birthday party uh, in front of his friends and out wafted out a cash bill. And he looked at his friend, Ashley, who had given him the card and the cash. And he said, thank you. I love cash. <laughs> so he loves cash, but doesn't make any. And a few years ago, he, he, he and some of the other rowdy kids in class were getting kicked out a lot. But we don't love Joey because he's productive or because he makes money or because he's doing well at school or not so much. We love Joey simply because he's our boy. And God loves you not because you're productive or because you're successful. He loves you simply because you are his beloved daughter, because you are his cherished son. And there's something about keeping the Sabbath that reminds us that we are valued not because of what we do, but simply because we are a child of God. Sabbath is a survival habit of the soul that enables us to live love, to wear the yoke of our Father's unique love for us across our shoulders. I guess that music means that I'm, I think it's, I'm about to wrap up, right? Is that, is that the case? Um, kind of like at the Oscars, so. But I like the music, so. I like the music, so. All right. Um, but let me, um, let me close with one story. It is a Canadian story. So um, when I was making the transition from the corporate world into the world of Christian ministry, vocational Christian ministry, I enrolled in something called the Arrow Leadership Program. Aside from John over here in the front, have any of you been part of Arrow by chance? All right, so, okay, so... You've been as well. Okay, so great. Um, a couple of you. Um, it was founded by someone named Leighton Ford, a Christian leader originally from Ontario, and their brother-in-law to the late Billy Graham. And when the 25 of us first assembled for the pilot class of Arrow, the very first class, uh, someone later said we were like fighter pilots in the movie Top Gun. We were sizing each other up as rivals. And I was the youngest person in the class, or one of the youngest, and certainly the least experienced in Christian ministry. And so I was very eager to impress the founder of Arrow Leadership, Leighton Ford. One time during class, I raised my hand and I was able to summarize an obscure book by an MIT professor. 
I was really trying hard to impress Leighton. But then as a young Christian leader, I, I stumbled. I got into a conflict with someone I was working with because of my own immaturity, my own self-centeredness. I was in a dating relationship with someone where we were struggling to maintain certain boundaries. And this is what I learned in my failure. I learned that Leighton's love for me was not dependent on my performance. That his care for me was not dependent on my capacity to contribute to his ministry, to his organization. He loved me just because. Fast forward 20, 25 years later, we've become close friends. I was with Leighton in Charlotte, North Carolina for much of last week. And I feel more at home in my skin with Leighton Ford than I've ever felt before. And it's not that I no longer want to make something out of my life and my ministry in part to honor his investment in me, but it no longer comes out of this anxious, desperate need to prove something. It comes out of a deep sense of gratitude that flows from knowing that I am already accepted by him. And this is my hope and prayer for you. My hope and prayer for you is that in your lives and in your ministries, you will just go for it, that you will give your very best, but that you will offer your life and your ministry and the work of your heart and hands, not out of an anxious need to prove that you are enough, but out of a deep sense of gratitude that comes from knowing that you are already enough. In fact, you are cherished in the eyes of the one who matters most. You are the beloved. You are the cherished. You are the honored. And the glory of the Lord rests upon you. Let's pray together. Tonight, if you want, you can respond to the invitation of Jesus, who says, if you are tired and weary in some way, come to me and allow me to place the yoke of my Father's unique love for you upon your shoulders. And if you want, you can pray, Jesus, place that yoke upon my shoulders now. Place it across my shoulders on my neck. And remember, this is a yoke that will not weigh you down. It is a yoke that will lift you up. It is a yoke that will set you free. It is a yoke that will enable you to fly. And so receive it. Receive it now. <clears throat> and tonight, if you would like prayer, I know Lauren will come up in a moment, but maybe there's something on your heart or some kind of burden you're carrying for yourself, your family, your ministry, a loved one. I know there are brothers and sisters here that would be honored to pray with you to perhaps offer you some kind of prophetic word to stand with you.
and beside you that you might wear more of the yoke of Jesus, more of the yoke of the Father's love across your shoulders. And so receive what he has for you tonight. Open your heart and open your hands to the love that the Father has for you. And out of that place of being loved, love those that God is bringing into your world, into your churches, into your sphere. May it be so in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 